You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Just because I'm interested in the things of God, in eternal things, it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in people. In fact, my interest in people, because I have that kind of a view, is actually intensified. Isn't that true? And that's why we're always looking for an opportunity, an open door, to share our faith with an unbeliever. At least I hope that's our desire. Some days it seems like heaven couldn't come any sooner. Have you ever heard the Christian term kingdom-minded? Some may think that a kingdom-minded way of thinking is just a tunnel vision in the expectation of heaven. However, Pastor Mike tells us that being focused on the things of God also means that we are laser-focused on the people that God has created, that none should perish. As you listen to today's message, let your heart focus on the things that God wants for you and desires out of you. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 49, as he begins his message, The Death of a Saint. I remember what you said, you returned that I might live in my Father's house. Genesis chapter 49. This series is actually winding down now. And so please, actually, I think there's only two more messages in our series in the book of Genesis, our origin series. And then we're going to begin a new series of studies in a new book of the Bible. So please be in prayer that God would guide me and lead me and direct me and, you know, to that perfect book that we know that we need to study, okay? Because we want to be right on the mark. We want to be right in the center of God's will for our lives and everything that we do, particularly studying his word, because more than anything else, that's what this ministry is all about. So please be in prayer that God will direct me. I've got to tell you, I'm kind of leaning towards the book of Ecclesiastes from the Old Testament, but at the same time, I kind of feel as if the Lord wants me to go into the book of Ephesians. But you know how that goes. Like on Thursdays, we're in the New Testament. On Sundays, we're in the Old Testament. I like to kind of balance it out by Old and New Testament throughout the week. So anyway, just be in prayer. I'm kind of, you know, leaning towards both of those books of the Bible, Ecclesiastes or the book of Ephesians. But I'm still not quite sure, although I've already began to purchase some new commentaries. In fact, I just received one yesterday. So anyway, please be in prayer about that for me, and I would really appreciate that. But this morning, once again, we're back in our origin series, our studies in the book of Genesis. 
And now we move into chapter 49. The text that we're going to be treating this morning is found in verses 29 through 33. And this morning's message, the title is The Death of a Saint. The Death of a Saint. So let's go ahead and read that text of scripture then. Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 29. Then he, that is Jacob, charged them, that would be the sons that have gathered around his deathbed now, as he's prophesying over each one of them concerning the things that would take place in their future, but he's also drawing, up until this point, drawing their attention to different failures, inconsistencies, faults, sin in their lives. He's been encouraging them to continue to walk with the Lord, to continue in their relationship with God. And all of that has been already addressed in our previous studies. And as Phil had mentioned, you can go to our website with those Previous messages are archived, and you can listen to them and just kind of bring you up to date with all of what we've already uh, gone over. Anyway, then he, Jacob, charged them, his sons, and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave which is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. And by the way, all of that is recorded for us in chapter 23 in the book of Genesis. Months ago, we talked about that. Verse 31, and there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there, were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Father, we pray now that you'd bless our time together. Lord, as we uh, treat this text of Scripture, God, open it up to us. God, give us understanding. Lord, minister to each one in a very personal and relevant way. Lord, meet us in our need. Father, we've come here to receive of you. We expect to receive of you, to hear from you this morning. Just do that work in the hearts and lives of your people. Now, Lord, settle our hearts. Help us to enjoy the remainder of our time together as we study your word, as we continue to worship you. God, we just thank you for the privilege, the opportunity that you provide for us week in and week out to come and and receive of you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, now let my words be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let me begin by saying the last two chapters here in this book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, could be described as being dark, even some might say morbid, because they're filled with deathbed scenes. Here, Jacob, when we move into the final chapter of this book of the Bible, we have described first the deathbed scene of Joseph. But both of these episodes, both here in chapter 49 as well as in chapter 50, remind us that everyone must die, even the best of the people of God. Listen, the truth of the matter is there's no escaping it. Although, let me also add, if anyone was able to escape death, Jacob could, right? And over the last couple of weeks, we've learned so much about this interesting character, here in the Bible. He was someone who, for the most part of his life, resorted to his wit and his cunning and his scheming to get out of trouble. 
to take control over his life's circumstances. But here, he can't cheat or escape death. The truth of the matter is, as you know, everyone must die. But how we die is the most important issue. And that's what we're most concerned about. That's what we're going to be talking about, at least in part. Jacob was someone who bore a good witness at the end of his life. You might say he went out well. The way that he went out is really exemplary. In fact, if you think about it, in all of chapter 49, which we've already covered in great length and detail, we discovered that Jacob, on his deathbed, he encouraged his son. So this is definitely the way to go out if you're going to go out. Particularly if you're a parent and you want to leave something behind for your children, it would serve you well to follow in Jacob's footsteps. And over the last couple of weeks, we've discovered exactly how he went about that. For example, he encouraged his sons to serve God. He rebuked sin. He promoted godliness. And at last here in the text that we're treating, he spells out his last wishes in great detail. And so I think Jacob then becomes an excellent example of how we should die when the time comes. There's a couple of notable characteristics of Jacob's death that I want you to take notice of, that I want to draw your attention to. I want you to notice while Jacob is ready to go home to be with the Lord, the Lord is in just a moment, take him home to be with him. Jacob's focus is on the next world. Notice there in verse 29, he speaks of it. He says, I am about to be gathered to my people. Now, what people is he referring to? Well, notice in verse 31, Abraham, his grandfather, Isaac, his dad, Sarah, his wife, Rebekah, and Leah. Notice all of those names are mentioned there for us in verse 31. So he's looking forward, in spirit that is, to be drawn together with those individuals. So we're not talking about being placed into the same plot of ground as his other ancestors, you know, you buy a parcel of ground and you make room for all of the members of your family when they expire to be placed in that same plot of ground. You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm just hoping to be cremated when I go. But anyway, so we're not talking about that. You see, Jacob knew whether he was going to be buried in Egypt, and at the present time, that's where he is. Remember, him and his family had gone down to Egypt to be sustained during the time of famine, where Joseph his son has now become the prime minister. He knew whether he was going to be buried in Egypt when he expired or back in the land of Canaan from which he had come from, he would be gathered together with his people. That is, in spirit. The real you, the real me, is spirit. The you that will continue to live forever throughout all of eternity, hopefully with God, well, if you've made that decision for Christ, that's a sure thing. The real you is spirit. You know, this is just a tent. This is just a tabernacle that we temporarily occupy. And all of us are going to shed this mortal bodies of ours, and we're going to put on that new body, that eternal body given to us by God. But the real you, the real me, is spirit. And obviously, Jacob was aware of that. But nevertheless, notice, as his last wishes suggest, he wanted to be buried along 
with Abraham and Isaac. In fact, he had already expressed this wish to his son Joseph back in chapter 47. If you just quickly go back there just for a moment, in chapter 47, in verses 29 and 30, Jacob is already aware of the fact that soon God was going to call him home. And in verse 29 of chapter 47, when the time drew near that Israel, that is Jacob, must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Now if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. This was just culturally the way and the form that they used to swear a vow. Please put your hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers there in that cave of Machpelah. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. So Joseph is absolutely in agreement with his father's wishes. So after his spirit had joined the spirits of his father's, In the next world, Jacob just wanted his body to be buried where their bodies were buried. Let me give you another example of this. Now, this was not true of all of the members of Jacob's family. For example, Ishmael, who was Abraham's son, was gathered, as we are told, in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 17. This just goes to prove the point that I'm trying to make. Ishmael. Abraham's son, we are told in Genesis chapter 25 and verse 17, was gathered to his people. But his body did not lie in rest with his ancestors. He wasn't buried in the cave of Machpelah, as was other members of his family. But nevertheless, the Bible testifies to the fact that he was gathered together with his people, in spirit, you see, not in body. So the point is, he died in faith and thus was gathered to those who died before him in faith, in spirit. Their spirits were gathered together. Now, we'll talk some more about that in a moment, what that suggests, what that implies. But now let's move on to our second point. It is hard to overemphasize, and this becomes our second point now, the importance of this kind of faith. That is looking to the eternal perspective, having that eternal focus, that kind of faith. You see, Jacob's was not merely a deathbed variety of faith. This faith is a life-transforming orientation of those who have learned the passing nature of this life and the overriding permanence and importance of the life to come. As I've already suggested, having that eternal perspective. To know that there's something more than what we experience in this life, you see. Looking forward to eternity. Let me give you an example of this from the scriptures. For example, Abraham, in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, and verses 9 and 10. We are told that Abraham lived like a stranger in a foreign country. He looked for a city with foundations whose architect and builder was God. And thus, this should be true of all of God's people. You know, if you think about it, it actually validates our conversion from sin to God. 
You might say Christians are otherworldly. That's our focus. And that's the emphasis of what we are really all about. That's what we are truly looking forward to. Now, don't misunderstand. Let me clarify that statement. Let me balance it out by saying, it's not that we can't enjoy the world that God has created. I mean, for example, I marvel at nature, the grandeur of it, the mountains, the oceans and such. But we need to realize that we're living in a fallen world that is one day destined to perish. You know, read the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We're not to set our affections upon it. You know, Paul tells us this in his letter to the church at Colossae, in the book of Colossians in chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, and that word if, if you look at it in the original Greek, it implies fact. If you then were raised in Christ, it's a reference to our conversion experience, we're born again of the Spirit of God, so it denotes a fact. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, a contemporary interpretation of this would be, listen, stop messing around with the things of the flesh, the things of the world. That's not to be our focus. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, set our affections on the things that pertain to eternal life. That's the encouragement. That's the exhortation by Paul to the church of Colossae. And then in verse 2 of chapter 3, he goes on and he says, Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Now, of course, the world doesn't like this sort of orientation, do they? And I understand this. The reason being is that they're just simply spiritually ignorant. Now, I don't mean to be derogatory, but nevertheless, the Bible tells us that the natural man cannot discern the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. And that's exactly why we need to be born again of the Spirit of God, to be awakened to spiritual things, you see. And so the truth of the matter is, is that they're just simply, the unbeliever, the unconverted, is spiritually ignorant of these things. But here's the problem. When Christians profess faith in things that can't be seen, or at least the unbeliever can't see them, or exhibit a loyalty to unseen things, eternal things, they resent us. They mock us. Christianity to them is regarded as something that is useless. It's sort of like a pie-in-the-sky philosophy. They refer to it as a drug. Christianity is the drug of the masses. They suggest that it makes people insensitive to real life. It makes us turn our backs on our real duties to our fellow man. But you know what? Listen, just the opposite is true. Because simply just because I'm interested in the things of God, in eternal things, it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in people. In fact, my interest in people, because I have that kind of a view, is actually intensified. Isn't that true? And that's why we're always looking for an opportunity, an open door, to share our faith with an unbeliever. At least I hope that's our desire. Well, in fact, that brings us to our third point. And that is, my concern for God motivates my concern for men. 
You see, I'm concerned that men, in an attempt to gain the world and its pleasures, lose their souls. You know, last night we went to my sister's birthday party in Manhattan. And a lot of my nieces and nephews were there and other members of my sister's husband's side of the family were present who I've known over the years. I mean, I grew up with these people and many of which don't know the Lord. They think they have some kind of a relationship with God. And all through the night, I was looking for opportunities to share Christ with them. And I found it sort of interesting that one of the sons of my sister asked me to, before we had dinner, would you come up and pray a prayer. And so I let them know that, is it okay if I mention the name of Jesus? If you want me to pray, I'm not going to hold back. And I let him know that if I'm going to pray, I'm going to use the name of Jesus. Is that okay? Because there were people there who actually attend the synagogue here in Manhattan, and they don't acknowledge or recognize Christ as the Savior. So I just wanted to make sure, because I didn't want to offend anybody. I didn't want to you know, come off as being obnoxious or something or, you know, beating a drum and, you know, that kind of a thing. I was just there to celebrate my sister's birthday. But again, at the same time, I was looking for all kinds of inroads, particularly with my nieces and nephews, you know, to be able to share Christ with them. So God was good. So I got up and I knew that there were those who attended the synagogue. So I I prayed the prayer. I asked God's blessing on the group that had gathered together to celebrate my sister's birthday. I asked a blessing upon my sister. And then I closed it out by saying, recognizing the fact that there were members of this Jewish synagogue that were present, a lot of members of that Jewish synagogue that was present. My, actually, my sister attends that synagogue there in Manhattan. And I pray this prayer in the name of the Father, who is the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose son is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I covered all the bases, you know. <laughs> And then I say that to my sister as I walked off of the, you know, where I'd been praying the prayer, and I just gave the microphone back to them. But I hope that's your desire as well, you know, to seek out those open doors, to be able to share your faith. I mean, it's something that God puts within each and every one of us because we have that eternal perspective, right? We're concerned about the souls of other people. You know, if you're not doing that, you got to wonder, you know, how important is Christianity to you? Is it something that you consider as being precious? You know, the Bible refers to it as, you know, we hold this earthen treasure in our mortal bodies. You know, think about that. Do you consider it a treasure, the gospel and knowing Christ? You know, how do you value it? And if, in fact, you do value it, wouldn't you want to pass it along to other people? Wouldn't you want to share it with other people? You know, I think it might be a way of gauging whether our Christianity is real and is as important to us as it should be. And so I'm concerned that men, in an attempt to gain the world and its pleasures, at the same time, lose their souls. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man. 
and he said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.